0: Hear now the uh, public reading of God's Word as we find it in Isaiah chapter 47, and in verses 8 to 15. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantment. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am. And there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone and ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble, the fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this, no fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who you have done business with from your youth. They wander about, each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. I have uh, come to
1: learn uh, that there are virtually no guarantees uh, whatsoever uh, in life. Uh, Even worse, there's no security in life. I had a friend of mine whose uh, beloved daughter who worked for a fairly large corporation for 18 years. Uh, One moment she went to work and they fired her It crashed upon her in a way that uh, led her to attempt, uh, thankfully uh, unsuccessfully, to take her own life. Eighteen years is a long period of time, faithful service, but it means nothing, no guarantees whatsoever. A week or so ago, 58 people went to go on a Sunday night to a concert. They never left the grounds never know. You can make your plans, but life is in the hands of God. Sometimes life is in the hands of evil men. Again, no security in life, one exception. I want to look this morning at uh, that which prevails in our culture through the lens of the city-state of Babylon, which is the epitome of false security. And then close uh, with that which is the only security in life and in death. Is an expression uh, found in the church. Uh, the text this morning breaks out in a couple of ways. Uh, the queen's security is false, verses 8 to 11, and then her religions are unable to save her from the judgment of God, verses 12 to 15, Uh, I certainly invite uh, your own application as an individual as we look at the lens of false security through the nation-state of Babylon. Uh, The boast of the previous verse, I shall be queen forever, is the occasion for heaven to answer. And so the first uh, words that uh, come off of the page after the boast of the queen in her false security are, now hear this. So, wonderful reminder that heaven interrupts us with words to remind us uh, when we boast uh, in pride and gain from that pride false security. Babylon is addressed as the one who feels safe and secure with no occasion whatsoever to worry. Uh, In the English Bible, the the word secure is literally to trust with the implied object of of oneself. Trusting oneself uh, for a security that is tenuous, uh, to say the least. Uh, It's a deadly combination to trust yourself over things of which you have absolutely no control. She says in her heart, again, very instructive, she says in her heart, or to herself, and the content is telling of pride in its advanced and terminal stages because she makes a divine claim. I am, and there's no one besides me. She makes herself out, of course, as you know with those words, to be God. It's exactly the statement, Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 and 6. I am the Lord, there is no other besides me, there is no God. Verse 6, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me, I am the Lord, and there is no other. And so the city-state of Babylon, as well as individuals of countless numbers, take a divine claim and apply it to themselves. Furthermore, she affirms that she will never be a widow or know the loss of children. Two parallel phrases speak to the security and joy of a family. It's a promise. She cannot and will not keep. She is saying, in effect, it will always be this way. It will go on this way forever and ever. And nothing can or will change it. Pretends a perpetual and linear destiny that is uninterruptive and, in and of itself, is a claim of deity. Only God can make such a claim. In fact, Jesus does. Hebrews chapter 13 I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, the city-state of Babylon makes a divine claim, and tragically, it's a claim made by countless people. Only one can keep it, and that is the Lord Christ. The parallel description in verse 10, uh, you trusted in your wickedness. Again, the New American Standard uses the word secure. It's literally trust, but the thought is the same. She finds security within herself by trusting herself. The reads hope. Hope in yourself. And so she boasts, No one sees me, expressing that there's no one that's going to hold her accountable. There's no such thing as judgment. And God, of course, again answers: your wisdom and knowledge have deluded you, or literally turned you aside. It's a road that so many people are walking today. They've literally been turned outside of the way of God to their own way, leading to a howling wilderness and utter destruction. She repeats again, most instructively, the divine hubris in the 10th verse, latter part of the 10th verse. I am and there's no one besides me, divine claim. She makes herself out to be a god. So do individuals. When you say within yourself, I don't need God, you're saying, I'm my own God. I make my own rules. I make my own way. I'm the captain of my own ship. That is the divine claim of incredible pride, of incredible danger. It's epidemic in our own country. good friend of mine gave me an illustration a number of years ago that I will never forget. Uh, it's like keeping your own scorecard. I, mean, I will tell you, I can beat Tiger Woods at golf if I can keep my own scorecard. The problem is you can't keep your own scorecard. God does. And In Scripture, incredibly significant. There's only one captain of the ship, and you're not it. And so, in light of the pride and the divine claim, judgment is announced. Verse 9, God says, Suddenly, suddenly in one day, you will lose it all. Everything will be taken. Everything that you treasured, everything that you rooted your security and life in will be taken from you. You know, the parallel in verse, verse 11 uh, latter phrase, will come on you suddenly. God is sovereign and he makes nations come and go. Babylon's going to be destroyed, but it's just as true of individuals. Boundaries and names are forever changing in terms of national entities. But I think it's just as true of individuals who make divine claims and who cannot deliver. I have a number of antique maps in, in my home that reminds me of just this, the unique map of the United Kingdom. Wasn't that long ago that the sun never set upon the British Empire? And now it sets all the time on the British Empire because nation states come and go, and only God is king and only God is forever. I have a map of the First as well as a map of the Second Reich. You look at a map of Germany today. My, how it has shrunk. My, how things change. Nothing is forever save the soul and the promises of the gospel as well as what will happen to the soul of those who are outside of the gospel. It's interesting in our text this morning, the verb will come. And the prepositional phrase upon you are used five times in this text. She makes a divine claim. She's keeping her own scorecard. What will come? Loss of children, widowhood. Everything that she valued will be stripped, taken away. Suddenly, the text reads, evil, disaster, destruction. God will send them, and it's unstoppable. Even worse, I find this most chilling in the 11th verse. And you cannot atone. You cannot make atonement. One of the most strongest forms of reminder of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only atonement accepted by the King of Heaven. Every other form of atonement would be rejected. There is no atonement apart from his and his alone. Any other confessional statement is false. There is no source of security whatsoever and offers absolutely no guarantee whatsoever. Regardless of what men in churches say, regardless of what confessional statements say, there is no atonement outside of Christ. And men cannot make it, only he can. It's a clear lesson. You make yourself out to be divine, and you, from the authority of Scripture, are going down. The suddenness suddenness of it all is the real key to the text. We think we're safe every day. Nothing will change. We'll always be this way. And then it's gone forever. Reminded of the words of... Uh, Asaph in the 73rd Psalm, who was troubled about the estate of the prosperity of the wicked. Psalm 73, verse 19 how they are destroyed in a moment. They think the linear progress of their life and all that they have stored up will last forever. And even when they die, the buildings that are named after them will last forever you drive around my neighborhood they're tearing down houses all the time you drive around oklahoma city they're tearing down buildings all of the time and people care less about what name is upon them and historically who their founders were in a moment it's gone forever mark chapter 13 verse 35 and 36 you do not know the day in which the Lord will come. and Therefore, be careful of your stewardship, for when he comes, it's too late to get ready. So there's a story for the city-state of Babylon as well as for individuals of false security. And then in verses 12 to 15, uh, we turn to another greater reality uh, that false religions uh, cannot save no security whatsoever in any other religion save the divine. They will all prove false. And so God, verses 12 to 15, strips away Babylon's safety net of idolatry and false religions. It's not just the city-state of Babylon. He's going to do that for every nation-state, every individual, because their religions cannot save them. Unable to save. It's very interesting that this text in Isaiah chapter 47, we don't think in these terms, but the prophet does, constitute uh, a taunt. God is taunting them or teasing them. We're we're, we're told not to tease people, taunt them, it's bad manners. You make divine claims, God comes and says, now hear this, and he's going to tease uh, the city-state, tease the individual for that matter. It says, stand, stand fast. Again, Isaiah chapter 47, verse 12. Stand fast in your, your spells and in your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. In other words, keep going in your falsehood. We'll see how that works out. It's not going to work out in the entire Gamut of her religions are present in spells and sorceries and astrology. These were the means that Babylon used to influence the future. God says, let them stand. Let's see see if they can save you. From what is certain, the coming judgment. Taken aback by the latter part of the 12th verse. Perhaps, Perhaps they'll profit you. Perhaps you'll stand before God on the day of final, irrevocable judgment and say, Lord, you have your book, but I have, my, I have my star charts. They're going to save me. Let's see how that works out. Keep going in your path, God is saying, and we'll see. The God who controls all of life and all of future is going to be vindicated. The word prophet, they're very interesting. Is every course that humankind can make to try to find guarantees and securities in life forever. And there are none. It's exactly what God says in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. You want to make it in life. You want to come to the end. You want to find a guarantee. You want to breach security. It can only be had in Him. He's the only one who can teach us to profit when it comes to eternal things and everlasting security, hope. So God is mocking their uselessness and their inability that all of their religions will fail them. They cannot influence the future. Their religions cannot contain the coming conflagration, which will in effect fuel the fire. Her religions will fail, God is saying. All of them will fail. All of them are useless. It's a story told in historic sense, Daniel chapter 5. The king senses danger, so he throws a big party to summons all of the gods. In fact, he goes to the extreme, even summons the God of Israel. He goes and says, bring bring the vessels from the temple of Jerusalem. Maybe they'll help me too. Even that fails him. It becomes an act of utter idolatry. And the text says... That very night, his life is taken from him. In sudden destruction, all of his security, all of his wealth swept away. Cyrus owns the Babylonian Empire. Interesting, is it not? She thought she would live forever. Things would go on and on as they always would be. And in one night, it swept away. One of the commentators on this section of the prophecy of Isaiah writes it will be every man for himself. By that he means every man for himself trying to escape the judgment of God. In total flight, trying to find a hiding place and there is no hiding place to be found. Revelation chapter 6. The text closes in stark solemnity. There is no savior for you in Isaiah chapter 47 verse 15, there is none to save you. The Hebrew text is literally there is no Messiah for you. That's the divine provision. The Messiah. It's very interesting that this section that's uh, is great vitriol against false religion and idolatry will Ultimately end and break forth in Isaiah chapter 49 and the coming servant son. The true Messiah, the true provision of God. God will show the right way in him. The only way to profit is in King Messiah. But for everyone and everything else and every religion, there is no Messiah whatsoever. Only the provision of God, the divine provision and God withdraws it from the nation. There is no atonement, and there is no Messiah in all false religions. It's very interesting that you find a parallel notion in the book of Proverbs. One of the wisest men that's ever lived speaks to this very same fact, Proverbs chapter 1. It's addressed particularly to young people. Young people, they're going to live forever. Nothing will ever happen to them. They feel secure in their youth. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 24 to 28. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand, and no one paid attention. And you rejected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity comes on like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come on you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me. We have a way of saying, do we not? Well, when I get old, I'll I'll try religion. It's not the way it works according to the wise man Solomon. Remember, a high school friend of mine, uh, his wife died, and it totally unseated his life and turned it upside down. He went looking for answers. He confessed to a colleague of mine in the Army that, I thought religion was something you chased when you got old. It doesn't work that way. It's not that old people can't be saved. It's not that people on the day of death can't be saved. But you better be very careful, thinking that, It's the point and the time of your choosing. And when you're finished with your life, then you can pick up with God. God withdraws himself for the young man or the young woman, Proverbs chapter 1. When calamity comes, they begin to seek, but at that point, God hides himself from them. They think they have security in their age. They think life will go on and on. Uh, They think they have every guarantee because they're young, and then in a moment, God is not to be found. It's a reminder that pride engenders a false sense of security, and that, of course, is dangerous ground. It means, of course, that idols and unauthorized contact with the spirit world do not work. The nation is swept away, but it's just as true as the individual. I love the phrase, I will sit as queen forever. Incredible statement. It's a promise she makes to herself. But she cannot keep it. It's just as true of the individual. I've achieved this position in life and it go on this way and on and on and on. How little we know. How little we tempt the divine because we fashion guarantees and our bank account cannot deliver. We write checks on eternity that are in our balance, because security cannot be found within us and in any religion whatsoever outside of us apart from that which is totally divine. The point of this text is it's a type of the day and the age in which you and I live, that the pride and judgment of ancient Babylon is prophetic of our day. It's a lesson for each of us that pride and judgment go together. You cannot separate them. John the Apostle, it's a text I know you're aware of. We will look at it on again and again on a couple of occasions as we finish out this particular section of the book of Isaiah, Revelation chapter 18, pardon me, John the Apostle, again, uses ancient Babylon to speak to our day. Uh, Their religion, their economic system were wedded together. Certainly true in uh, the Roman Empire in the day of the Apostle John. Mainly because of the trade guilds, all had their patron idols, and so they would go and worship uh, the patron idols of their union, uh, that they would be blessed economically. Yeah, we do that today, don't we? We carry around medallions of saints. It's incredible. We don't call it idolatry, but in effect, it really breaches almost that same reality. The saints, ladies and gentlemen, cannot save. Only God can save. In America, evident in the sheer prevalence of secularism. It's breached almost everything, even the church. If God's not irrelevant, he's an afterthought. I'll fit him in when my schedule can work him in. It comes convenient for me. The ancient, historic, orthodox church has its way. But I got my way. Who's to say I'm wrong? Science and technology and government will save us all. God help us. We think we live in a closed system. Our chief concern is materialism to feed and to fund the physical. I'm reminded of reading a book recently of a segment of American history called the Gilded Age, an age of incredible materialism. Mark Twain was so disgusted of it. He wrote a parody, the Shorter Catechism, as an expression of his disgust. What is the chief end of man? Twain writes, to get rich. Who is God? Twain writes, God is money, stocks, and gold. Everybody chasing riches as if riches can buy our way in eternity. And one thing the scriptures are adamantly clear upon, you cannot use money to make atonement for yourself. There's only one who can do that, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Any other form of security is absolutely vacuous and will be taken away from you. The greater reality, the older I get, is not only are there no guarantees in life, not only is there no security in life whatsoever, but the fact that we are so incredibly fragile. In a moment, we think everything's going well. And then what? We get some terrible news. Everything is turned upside down. John reminds us of the demise of this economic and religious system in chapter 18 of the Apocalypse. We know that literal Babylon was destroyed by Persia. The spiritual Babylon, fueled by idolatry and pride, is still running its course. And God will take her down too. Revelation 18, verses 7 and 8. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen, and I'm not a widow and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine. She will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. Antitype to the city-state of Babylon, the days of Daniel the prophets, the world system that governs the culture in which you and I live. Again, notice notice the line again. In one day, the God who is strong will come and judge her. Of course, the application of the saints, as you know, is quite instructive. Uh, verse four, the same chapter. Heard another voice crying from heaven: "Come out from her, my people, that you might not participate in her sins." you may not receive her plagues. It's a reminder that those words are written to professing Christians who have compromised their faith morally and doctrinally. And the prophet says, now hear this, come out from her. It's a dangerous place to be. Ironically, again, if you use Isaiah chapter 47, He's mocking our present system. Stand fast and keep your course and see how it works out for you. Keep reading your astrological tables. They govern your life, don't they? Whatever. And one day, suddenly, judgment comes. Know this, John is saying, It will not save you, and you cannot stop the coming judgment. It's a reminder that the city-state of Babylon, the days of the prophets, found security within themselves. You know, by the way, that's a hallmark, really, of postmodernism, is it not? The prevailing thought of American culture. Grace Bible Church, you have your way, I've got mine. You're happy in your way, and I'm happy in mine. There's no ultimate authority, divine or otherwise, but that which I make within myself. Eyes of judgment open It's such folly. Think of it in this way. You and I on occasion take trips. I, I, I suspect you, you hire a professional to help you or you get on the internet and uh, you just... some type of venue and you plan things out and you resource your trip and you do other things, you have some type of care in the packing and getting ready. Who does that for eternity, save the Christian? Who reads the instructions about life in eternity, save the Christian? It's as if we say to ourselves, You know, I plan everything about life. I've I've never never stepped into eternity, but I've got my own way. The Bible tells us there is only one who has ever come back, notwithstanding Lazarus. Be very careful about being dismissive of him because it's the height of folly and hubris and pride. God has his way. He even sent one who stepped into eternity and came back and conquered the grave. Oh, but I've got my way. It's guaranteed for me. I feel utterly secure. What me worry. Prevailing theology of the 60s. The hubris of American culture. The lesson for the individual, of course, is most instructive. Let's turn Book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16, the 8th verse. Pardon me, the 18th verse. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. You start keeping your own scorecard about eternity. Absent the scripture and divine authority, you're setting yourself up for a catastrophic failure the likes of which you know not of, the Bible says. And everything that you value will be taken from you one by one, just as it was from Babylon of old. Philippians chapter 2, one of the greatest lessons of all of life of the majesty of our Christian faith and our Savior. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to. But he humbled himself, took upon himself the form of a man, went to the cross as a servant, teaching us the way to glory, certainly absent pride, to be found in the way of the servant. Reminder that you cannot trust the systems of the world. They will all fail you. The divine provisions, Jesus. It's the only way out of spiritual Babylon. Only way. That's why John says, come out from her. The only way out, the only passport is Christ. Security is only in Christ. who he is, what he does, what he offers his people. By the way, I might remind you that... uh, you might think these words are widely ascribed to in a Christian faith, but they're, but they're not. The systems of theology of the vast number of professing Christians today are what? I work out my own salvation, I save myself and I keep myself, and when I fail at keeping myself, I'm lost again forever. vast majority of the Christian church does not fully understand that security is only found in Jesus Christ, his work and his work alone. Everything else is shifting sand. Intriguing to me. That the major systems of theology of Christianity. You save yourself. Well, God helps out a little bit, but you're, you're the one that throws the switch. And then you better keep yourself because if you can't keep yourself you'll fall away. Incredible. In other words, there's no security in Christ, is there? That is not the teaching of the Scripture. Teaching of the Scriptures, there's only security in Christ. May I remind you again, text I've quoted on any number of occasions. Jesus says, of all that the Father has given me, I lose none. I don't know how those systems of theology square with the Gospel of John. Well, they don't. They're walking on dangerous ground, giving false hopes and false sense of security. One of the things I've learned as a Christian, I make no guarantees. My only hope is Christ. There's only safety in Him. Everything else is shifting sand. I would be utterly terrified To stand before God with the words, I did my best. In the 16th century, Martin Luther observed contractors making repairs to the walls of the city as protection from invaders. He was struck by that as something of an acted parable, because he knew ultimately, in terms of eternity, there is no security whatsoever save in one. Again, I'm not mindful that in physical life and earthly life we engage in all types of systems of physical security. It comes to eternity, there. There's only one. Luther is reading Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. When you come to eternal matters and spiritual matters, he is the only castle and only his walls will hold. You look at the final verse, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. And so he writes that hymn that all of us are so familiar with, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never, what? Never failing. He's the only ground that will hold. Everything else will give way and suffer retreat, only to be caught by the hand of God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. 19th century, Anthony Showalter received letters. He was a musician, songwriter, educator, received two letters from a couple of his former students telling the sad tale of the death of their wives. Showalter was reading a verse, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 26 27. There is none like the God of Jerusalem who rides the heavens to your help. And through the skies in His majesty, the eternal God is a dwelling place. and underneath are the everlasting arms. From that verse, Walter writes, "That great hymn, leaning on the everlasting arms. that can never break, can never fail, can never retreat, can never let go." leaning on the everlasting arms, inspired the famous refrain, leaning on the everlasting arms, safe and secure from all alarms. What a blessedness. What a peace is mine. Leaning on everlasting arms. And so, my friend, the testimony of Babylon it's telling us that there are no guarantees, no security. It will all be taken from you. Only security in Christ. A bulwark that will never fail. No one can save but him, and when he saves, he saves forever. Our security is just this. Close with the words of Showalter again. What have I to fear? What have I to dread? leaning on the everlasting arms. The humility and trusting Christ is the only real security in this life and certainly in the afterlife. Everything else shifting sand. Pride and false security will all fail. Your scorecard that you're keeping for yourself will not work reminder of scripture that only God can atone for sin, and he does so in Jesus Christ. And his arms are mighty and powerful and everlasting, and they will never fail. I trust in your own life you have found the blessedness and the peace and the joy that comes from those everlasting arms. And if you have not, May God in the riches of his grace reach out to your soul in his everlasting arms and save you to himself in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. His blood that was shed for the full remission of all sin, past, present, and future is the only place of security, is the only guarantee that you can find safety. And it's only in him and his everlasting arms.